Hi, Jack. My name is Eliza from Colorado. Um, I've been very interested in learning about the opium wars in China. Um, I'm a super fan. I love Historia Obscura. If you'd be able to talk about this, I would really love to hear it. Thanks so much. On July 1st, 1997, the British Empire effectively ceased to exist. On this day, a territory containing 6.5 million British subjects, or 97% of the population of the British Overseas Territories, was ceded to another nation. This handover marked the first time that a capitalist nation ceded a territory to a communist nation. Of course, I am talking about the handover of Hong Kong to China. From its years as a British overseas territory, Hong Kong adopted British culture in a number of ways. I mean, come on, they have double-decker buses, how much more British could they be? However, the impact of British rule over Hong Kong was not limited to cultural influence. It also included the adoption of capitalism into the economy of Hong Kong. So how do you convince a populace that has spent their entire lives living in a capitalist system to switch to a communist system? Well, the answer to that is apparently to just not change in the first place. During the negotiations for the Hong Kong handover, the Chinese government agreed to allow Hong Kong to continue its capitalist way of life, but only for 50 years. This policy is famously known as One China, Two Systems. Although a majority of Hong Kongers had faith in the Chinese government to respect their sovereignty, many remained skeptical and quickly moved to the United Kingdom or other countries in the British Commonwealth. Over 100,000 moved to Vancouver, Canada, and today, Hong Kongers constitute roughly a quarter of the city's population. After these immigrants left, the handover occurred, and Hong Kong has had a totally amicable relationship with the Chinese government ever since. Oh, right. On June 30th, 2020, 23 years to the day after Hong Kong's final day as a British territory, the Chinese government passed the Hong Kong National Security Law, meant to crack down on the recent pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong. Although Hong Kong is allowed to govern itself until 2047, many fear that, with the implementation of this law, China is trying to expedite Hong Kong's shift back to the Chinese system. The widespread misuse of opioids in the United States has been characterized as an epidemic. For those who don't know, Opioids are illicit substances derived from the seeds of the opium poppy plant, which cause euphoria and dulling of the senses. There are roughly 2 million Americans addicted to some sort of opioid, whether legal or illegal, and that number is rising substantially each year. Last year, over 75,000 Americans fatally overdosed on opioids, and since 1990, over half a million Americans have died from opioid overdoses. Contrary to other common causes of premature death, which disproportionately affect men, African Americans, and young adults, most opioid overdoses are at the hands of white women between the ages of 35 and 64. By most all accounts, the opioid epidemic began in the mid-1990s, picking up where crack left off. And yet, many years prior, 
opioids such as morphine and heroin were used frequently in medicine, even being sold over-the-counter as cough relief medication. During the Vietnam War, as many as 75% of U.S. military personnel stationed in Vietnam used heroin, and yet only 5% continued to use the drug after the war's end. So what caused the surge in opioid use in the 1990s? Well, in 1995, pharmaceutical company Purdue Pharma began distributing the prescription painkiller oxycodone, marketing it as a miracle drug. Today, the vast majority of individuals addicted to opioids initially started with prescription painkillers, and many believe that Purdue Pharma should be held responsible for the opioid epidemic. In October of 2020, Purdue Pharma pled guilty to three criminal charges pertaining to the involvement in the opioid epidemic, and charges against the company's executives are pending. Of course, the United States is not the only country dealing with an opioid epidemic. Worldwide, as many as 38 million people are addicted to opioids, and in China, an opioid crisis two centuries ago would ultimately lead to the situation in Hong Kong today. I'm going to tell you all about it, right now, on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 53rd episode of this podcast, and I really hope you enjoy it. Special thank you to Patreon subscribers Barbara and Tom. Special thank you as well to Eliza from Colorado who suggested this episode. If you want to receive a shout out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historia obscura and becoming a patron. One more thing. Make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. As the final imperial dynasty to rule over China, the Qing dynasty governed from 1644 to 1912. The dynasty's trade policies were notably protectionist, with the Qianlong Empire saying, quote, Our land is so wealthy and prosperous that we possess all things. Therefore, there is no need to exchange the produce of foreign barbarians for our own. In 1757, this emperor banned all non-Russian ships from docking in northern China, limiting all other trade to the southern port of Canton, today known as Guangzhou. This system of trade restriction was known as the Canton system, and although it limited trade, it still allowed both European and Chinese merchants to grow wealthy from trade. European nations were attracted to China's resources, including silk, porcelain, and most importantly for the United Kingdom, tea. In exchange, Western nations gave tons and tons of opium to China. Opium had been prevalent in China for centuries beforehand, but Chinese opium was only able to be consumed with tea, making it relatively impotent. The Turkish opium brought by Western nations, meanwhile, was mixed with tobacco to be smoked, which made it much more powerful. 
Foreign-sourced opium quickly became the most lucrative traded good in China, despite the fact that its importation and consumption remained illegal. At one point, it was said that, from the wealthiest noble to the slave, all were addicted to opium. The Qing dynasty did not like this at all, and in 1838, the Daoguang Emperor attached a mandatory death sentence for any Chinese people convicted of opium trafficking. Since Westerners were not included in this mandate, none of them really cared. However, on June 3, 1839, Chinese authorities seized over 1,000 tons of opium, collectively worth over 2 million pounds, from British merchants William Jardine and James Matheson. You might recognize those names. They subsequently publicly burned all of this opium and banned British merchants from the country. This was the last straw for Queen Victoria, and on September 4, 1839, British ships in Kowloon, Hong Kong, fired on Chinese ships enforcing the British trade embargo. Two Chinese sailors were killed in the ensuing skirmish, and four British sailors were wounded. The First Opium War had begun. The First Opium War began strictly with naval engagements, including the First Battle of Chuen Pui, in which two British ships took no casualties in their strategic victory against almost 30 Chinese ships. In June of 1840, the British went on the offensive, sending an expeditionary force to the island of Shusan, which was taken after a two-day battle. The British soon took the crucial port city of Dinghai, and they used this port as the base of their expedition into China. However, in the autumn of 1840, disease struck the expeditionary force, killing over 500 British soldiers. Most of those who died were Indian volunteers from the British Raj, and the Royal Marines took relatively few losses. Still, this plague forced the British forces to retreat and regroup in Calcutta. Eventually, in January of 1841, they realized that the Pearl River Delta was of immense strategic importance to the Chinese military. They set out on the Pearl River campaign to seize control of this river. This campaign culminated in the capture of Canton, the aforementioned port city, in March of 1841. The residents of Canton, however, did not take kindly to the British occupation of the city. On May 29, 1841, in what is known as the Sanyuan Li Incident, the 6,000 British soldiers stationed in Canton were overpowered by an irregular militia made up of 30,000 Cantonese civilians. In exchange for their freedom and a break in the fighting, the British agreed to withdraw from Canton. With this ceasefire agreement, it would seem like the First Opium War had ended. However, this was far from the case. After retreating to Hong Kong, the British changed their approach, this time opting to invade through the central Chinese coast. A crucial victory for the British came in August of 1841 at the Battle of Amoy, or present-day Xiamen. 
Since they wanted Amoy to become a major port city after the war, British officers ordered their soldiers not to pillage the city and even enforced the death penalty on any British soldiers caught looting. However, the British suffered a major loss the next month when the ships Nerbutta and Anne, staffed by British Indian sepoys and Royal Marines respectively, were sunk off the coast of Taiwan. Although most of the soldiers on both ships survived, the survivors were quickly captured and imprisoned in Taiwan by Chinese forces. Over the next 11 months, 87 captives would die from disease or malnutrition, although 11 were freed for seemingly arbitrary reasons. On August 10, 1842, after it became clear that the tide of the battle had turned in favor of the British, the remaining 197 prisoners were beheaded en masse. During the captivity of these soldiers, however, the British won the final battle of the war, the Battle of Qingyang, in July 21, 1842. On this day, British troops used their technological advantage to overcome thousands of Chinese soldiers. In the aftermath of the battle, many surviving Chinese soldiers and their family committed a mass suicide, believing death to be preferable to becoming prisoners of the British. After taking the city, the British cut the Grand Canal of Qingyang and made transporting grain impossible in an attempt to starve the Chinese into capitulation. This plan was successful, and on August 14, 1852, Qing officials came to the negotiating table. On August 29, 1841, the Treaty of Nanking was signed aboard HMS Cornwallis. Among other provisions, the treaty granted diplomatic protection to British merchants in China, established ports on the Chinese coast that would be exclusive to the United Kingdom, and ceded the island of Hong Kong to the UK. In 1856, Qing officials tried once again to curb the importation of opium, capturing and imprisoning the crew of a British merchant ship. This started the Second Opium War, in which the United Kingdom, France, and Russia, all with backing from the United States, went to war with China. The American intervention in the war was spearheaded by Vice President John C. Breckinridge, who attended Princeton University in New Jersey. The war ended in 1860, when British and French troops stormed the Xianfeng Emperor's palace. China was forced to sign the Treaty of Tianjin, which expanded trade with the West, allowed for more Christian missionary activity, and most importantly, legalized the opium trade. At the Convention of Peking, China was also forced to cede the peninsula of Kowloon to the UK to be incorporated into British Hong Kong. In addition, China had to cede the territory of Outer Manchuria to Russia. Along with the Dungan Revolt and Taiping Rebellion, listen to a previous episode for more information about that, the Opium Wars were a defining factor of China's century of humiliation, during which time the weakness of the Qing Dynasty was exposed. The same is true for the 1898 Convention for the Extension of Hong Kong Territory. This agreement leased the vast majority of present-day Hong Kong's territory to the UK for 99 years, or in the words of British Ambassador Claude MacDonald, as good as forever. The British kept their word, however, and in 1997, 
Hong Kong was returned to China. During that time period, opium addiction ravaged China, with millions becoming addicted each year. Eventually, in the 1950s, Mao Zedong's regime sought to root out the opium issue once and for all. The Chinese Communist Party forced over 10 million opium addicts into rehabilitation and summarily executed opium dealers and traffickers. The Mao Zedong government is largely credited within China for almost completely eliminating opium addiction. Today, however, roughly 1 million people in China remain addicted to opium. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. Thanks again to Eliza from Colorado for suggesting this episode. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash historiaobscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash Historia Obscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.